it, this has been a, 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 a stressful time. And there's a thing called background stress that oftentimes you don't really realize how much some stuff is affecting you. Uh, we have been going through uncertainties can be very stressful. And our society, our community and culture has been going through tremendous uncertainties. Uh, we just, along with what's been going on with the COVID virus for months and months, we just added on to that a very divisive election season. And we still don't have finished, final results that everybody agrees to. And that creates more stress and more angst. And I will say that I live in Washington. I'm used to, especially on the west side of the state here, I'm used to waking up and finding out that some things that I voted for were not the things that passed. That's part of uh, who I am in the midst of the environment that I'm in. Uh, yet... Um, there's just the difference and there is continuing uncertainties and uh, th along with some of that angst that uh, creates stress. And then we, we're trying to find our way and figure out what is the right thing and the right things to do in the midst of all this and competing um, ideas about what's right and what's wrong, what's needed and what's not. And uh, it gets to the point that even things we do, even as church, and, uh, you know, we as a church, we're, we're assembling together and we're wearing masks. And we're doing that because we want to communicate. We want people who are maybe more worried than, the, than somebody else is to feel that this is a, a safer place that they can come and participate. We want to communicate to our community at large that we... Um, we, we value you. We don't want to just toss aside concerns that others around us have. We don't want to toss aside concerns that uh, people within our body have. And so we, we, we do things that we might, some of us wouldn't choose to do, and yet that creates its own stress, doesn't it? And I just want us to, to pause and remember that in this time of, of angst and angst, uncertainty and all the stuff that's out of your control and you don't like, and you don't like that it's out of your control, all of that causes us at times to also, it, it can get a little rough in how we interact even together and how we interact toward people around us. In a time of angst, anxiety, stress, and uncertainty, what certainly our community around us needs, as well as what we need from one another, is the grace of God and a gracefulness in our lives toward others, a forgiving and bearing with. And so I just want us to just pause and pray. It's not, don't think I have any particular situation in mind. One of the things that actually reminded me of this, along with when I came into church this morning, a couple people bumped into me and said, hey, have you heard the governor's going to make some new announcements about you know, new requirements? Oh, no, I hadn't heard that. But I, I just recently went to the doctor, and my blood pressure reading went, came out as higher than it regularly is. And I thought, I like to think of myself as a nice, fit guy. I do all this hiking and stuff. Well, I haven't in a while, but I still like to think of myself that way. And, 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 it, and it just reminds me of what we're in the midst of, folks. And if we're feeling it, certainly those without hope and without God in the world are feeling it. And they need 
grace and gracefulness from us. Let's pray. Father, would you help us, Lord, to be for you what we need for one another. And Father, would you help us as your church, as the body of Christ within the world, would you help us to also be, Lord, denying ourselves, considerate of others. Lord, would you help us to be what we need to be for people around us and not questioning anybody else for what they do or don't do. But Lord, help us to be gracious toward one another and to others. And Lord, that they might see something of your grace and what a greater hope and trust in you than in any other situation or circumstance or outcome. Lord, that our hope is in the true and the living God, that that would be seen, perceived, even felt by people around us. We pray that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. That wasn't on my original plan. It wasn't on my uh, notes or announcements or anything like that. There is an announcement I'm supposed to tell you, and that is that we do have a, a church business meeting. We'll be, re, we'll be affirming some new, some new elder deacons. No, deacons, I think it is. We have some new members. Um, we, have, we have the annual budget that we'll consider as a church, and uh, so if you're able to stay for that, we, we, we hope so. That'll start just a few minutes after, the, after this morning's service. Uh, that's the only announcement I think I must make, so we'll, we'll how about we turn to something a little more fun? A little, how about some fun in games? Yeah? I brought a game with me this morning. How many of you played Stratego? Yeah? A few of you have. This is probably my, I have a special bond, a special attachment to this game. It's probably the first battle strategy game I ever played before I moved on to um, other conquer the world in new and more exciting ways like Risk or Axis and Allies. And I realize that still dates me. But the, um, the special attachment that I have to this particular game is not so much the game itself. In fact, after you've played it a bit, it becomes a little simple and predictable and almost stalemate-ish. But... My, my attachment to it is more about when and with whom I played it. I was a young man in the Air Force, not yet married. I was on temporary assignment in a place called Biloxi, Mississippi. I tell people that was my first overseas assignment. You've been to Biloxi, you know what I mean. They're known for a cat food factory and a... And, um, and shrimp netting, and it smells like both of those. I got introduced to a small church there just outside the Air Force Base. I met a, I met a man at that church who was eight years ahead of me, uh, both in, uh, in life and in the Lord. And he was doing some of the Bible teaching at that little church. And um, he connected with some of the young men in the church from the base and uh, connected with me. He, he seemed to know his Bible pretty well. And I was at the point where I was, I was getting kind of curious and hungry about God's word. And he had, he had followed God's word into some serious life choices, uh, choices of faith that brought him even to be at that church at that time. We started hanging out. His initial discipleship plan for me was this game. Stratego. 
He invited me to come on over. We'd, we'd play this game. After I got off work, we'd play that game, and he'd feed me. It was a win-win. Because I was better at the game than he was, too. So win in the game, win in the meal. <laughs> What's not to like? But, but as we spent that time together, he, he'd ask me questions. I got to ask him questions. I, I got to, hearing, hearing his Bible study, I got to poke a little further and probe a little deeper and under, ask a question. In fact, I later told them that my strategy in Stratego was this. I would ask him a good question, a solid thinking question. And then he would focus on the question and I would focus on the game. But along the way, in that format of time spent together, of him inviting me in to spend time with him and to share what he knew out of God's word with me, to encourage me, to provoke me, even to challenge me in what I was going to do with it. I grew in that time. Along the way, Don invited me to go with him into an evening service um, at a nearby rescue mission. This rescue mission had a lot of, a lot of folks coming through on the, on the Gulf Coast there, and, and uh, they would have a service every night, and they used different churches to help volunteer to sign up for times to do that, those services. And he was going, and he invited me to come along with him. The next time, he said, hey, come along with me. Could you be ready to, to share from memory a good salvation verse? I'm going to ask some people to share some Bible verses, and you be ready with a good... He wanted to be sure these men heard God's word concerning salvation. And that was another way to do it. So I, I shared a verse. The next time we went, he, he said, could you share your testimony, how you came to be saved by faith in Jesus? Be sure to use a good verse or two in that. And uh, short... And uh, I, we did that, and then the next time he said, you know, we're going to be going next week. Would you get ready, prepare, I'll, I'll help you, a short gospel message from God's Word that you could bring next week when we go. He, he, he modeled it for me. I had seen him do it. I went along with him. He helped me in it. I, I would say that... that um, Dawn is why I love God's word today and love to share it with you. His example of both faith and faithfulness. After Julie and I were married, we had an actual longer-term assignment to the same base. We were part of that same church. And we saw together in his life an imperfect vessel. Let me give you a fun example for Don. You'll, you'll get him a little bit this way. We used to have, in South, they don't have potlucks. They had covered dish dinners. Okay, Don was a single guy. Don would bring, ready for the covered dish dinner that the church was going to have, Don would bring his covered dish. It was empty. He was coming to the dinner to get his dish filled with the leftovers as well. So a little rough around the edges maybe socially, but uh, this was a guy who invested himself in the lives of others, who was faithful to God's word as he saw it, a challenged me to the same, encouraged us that as God was faithful to him and provide for him, that gave Julie and I the courage to leave the Air Force after nine years and to join a faith mission, not knowing where that would take us and, and how God would provide for us. But we saw that God had provided for Don, had used Don in the lives of others, that he would provide for us. He would use us in the lives of others as well. 
I didn't realize it at the time in those terms necessarily, but, but Don was my Paul. I was his Timothy over several years. What God gave me in, in Don was what God gave Timothy in Paul. It's what God then intends to give to other men through Timothy. This strategy of Paul to Timothy to others is what we come to this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So as you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, I do want to just give a, a brief uh, review of where we have been together in this series. We begin essential church in Ephesians 4. Then we saw that the purpose of the church was to equip the saints, those who believe in Jesus, those who are members of the body of Christ. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, which is God through them building up the body of Christ. So equipping one another for the ministry of building up others. We saw that the essential components in that, the essential ingredients or the building materials are biblical truth, stepped into in obedient living, which follows into Christ-like serving, giving ourselves for others. The church historically and today has a threefold strategy on how we are going to carry out, what opportunities for building those essentials into the saints in the body of Christ. That threefold stat strategy of those threefold opportunities are whole church together in worship. When we talked about whole church worship, we talked about this is one of, the, one of the times that not only do we hear together from God's word, but we sing together God's truth. We just did that. We sang the Apostles' Creed. That it's a time when we say the same thing. That we, we know one another more deeply and fully and we grow together more in smaller group communities. Those places where I am known and I know others. Those places where we have connection and belonging. Where we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. And then there's the intentional relational discipleship. That which is talked about here in this passage in 2 Timothy 2. Now, it's interesting that along those three thrusts, whole church gathered, smaller group community, and into in intentional relational discipling, what is probably the most effective and impactful of the three, the most basic and effective, is probably the least practiced in the church. And has been for the last several centuries. I don't really know the details of church history earlier than that. If we intend to be knowing and following Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus, we dare not neglect what it was that Jesus himself did in growing others, even as he laid the foundation for what we know as the church, the body of Christ. These disciples with Jesus, they were with him as he taught in large groups. But they also huddled with him in that smaller group where he was able to, to explain to them more fully what he was telling the crowd at large. They were able to step into it further. Individually they knew him and individually he knew them. They could ask questions which he answered. He asked them questions and challenged them. He gave individual personal attention as well as correction and encouragement. He knew them. He let them know him. This is what Paul does with Timothy. 
Paul takes Timothy under his wing to go along with him to assist in the work, the mission that, that Paul had been called on. And, and, and in that, Timothy's going to learn in that close relationship with Paul. He's going to be sent on mission tax, tasks by Paul and come back and report back, how did that go? He's going to learn from what he hears from Paul and also what he sees in Paul's life. Timothy had been given a foundation for his faith in his own home, and his own family. Paul mentions, in fact, his grandmother and his mother and how they, they uh, raised him in the word of God. And yet that further growth comes in this individual discipling ministry. This is, in putting it in Ephesians 4 terms, Paul equipped Timothy for the work of ministry, which was building up others in the body of Christ. Now, with that background, with that thinking in mind, I want us to read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first seven verses. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus, and that which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier. Of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This passage, and especially verse 2 of this section, are known by many as the core passage for reproducible discipleship. This is the model. This is how it's done. And it's that reproducible part that I think that so echoes that core purpose, verse 4 us of Ephesians 4.12. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, which is building up the body of Christ. Timothy, what you were equipped in from me, entrust that to others so that they can then build it into the lives of others. That is intentional, focused. Somebody shared with me after the first, um, first service a phrase, in intentional attention. This is an intentional focus on a certain thing that is more important the, the, uh, the, the focus on these things to build them then into the lives of others so that they can build up others as well. This intentional reproducible discipleship is going to be one-on-one -on -one, or maybe it's one with a few. He says two faithful men. That's, that's a group of more than one other one. So there's a small group that Timothy's going to do this with. The purpose is that they will then turn around and do it again. It's reproducible. My sense is that the early church grew. In the midst of, of difficulties, hardship, suffering, not being understood, being very strange to society around them, but the early church grew, multiplied, and turned the world upside down because they focused in all three of these strategies, opportunities for building up the body of Christ, in whole church gathering together in worship, in smaller group community where they were encouraged strengthened, and in intentional, reproducible discipleship, entrusting these things to others who would then teach others also. They did all three of those. 
And so what we want to do this morning, we've talked about church, we've talked about small groups. We want to talk a little bit in detail about what Paul tells Timothy about intentional reproducible discipleship. And there's, there are several things, there's, there's, there's several key words I want, to, I want to spend a little time on. And then there are three key images. And we're not going to be able to unpack everything that's there. In fact, Paul tells us at the end, think about this. Give some time to this. Chew on this. Turn this over and the Lord will give you understanding. And I would hope to add to that maybe a little conviction. All right. Well, let's jump in. First of all, in verse 1, Paul addresses Timothy as my child. Elsewhere, he speaks of Timothy as his son in the faith. He says that Timothy has served with me as a son with his father. Timothy is is that one-time apprentice who's now uh, being handed the baton, who's who's taking over his father's place in the family business. That's the kind of imagery that's going on here. This use of the term, my child, for a grown-up son is a term of endearment. They're close. That, that without spending too much effort to try to prove it to you, that their relationship, this, this discipling that happened from Paul to Timothy is relational. That discipleship is relational with Paul and Timothy, with Don and I, with you and whomever. We could pause here and we could start telling stories. Who was it that God used at a critical place in your spiritual growth? And you could tell that story. And part of it was, it was, it centered around God's word, worked out in life, encouragement and challenge, and it was certainly relational with somebody you could trust in walking a little further in God's purposes together. There's a sharing of personality in life. There's a valuing one another in friendship as well as in faith. The idea of discipling someone may seem overwhelming. How would I do that? What does that take? What does it involve? Start with that friendship in faith. Put it in those terms. Don't overcomplicate it. Start with shared experience the way that Don did with me. Sharing time together, and while you share some of life together, share something of faith, share something of life in Christ together. Let fellowship not just be connection and fellowship, but let it be Christian fellowship because it's centered on Christ and his word and knowing him and walking with him. But to address some of those feelings that we might have is, that sounds wonderful, but I couldn't do that. I suspect maybe Timothy felt some of that. And maybe Paul writes this for Timothy. Maybe he writes it to Timothy for us to overhear as well. When he says to Timothy... Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. For this call that he's going to press upon him, for this urgent task, he's going to remind Timothy of where the strength for it comes from. Just to be real, if it's up to you or to me to change somebody else, we're going to fail. We're not going to be able to do it. Anybody a parent of adult children? No offense to the adult children in the room. But, well, all of us are adult children, except the ones that aren't yet adults, right? But, but parents of adult children, especially when the, when the adult children are just starting out on life on their own and finding their way and figuring things out, there's so much you'd like to change for them. There's so much you'd like to redirect them, and yet you can't. 
And one of the things you pray is along with what you have built into them is you pray, Lord, would you send them others that would walk along with them and encourage them as they continue to walk with you. Or Lord, that would encourage them and maybe call them back to some distractions. But unless God is in this working through the life of others, we can't change anyone. We know that. And yet... The whole point here in being strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus is all I can do, cannot do this on my own. I am not on my own. We're not on our own in this. That's, that's essential with Paul. In fact, this truth drips from Paul's letters. That which I couldn't do by myself, I can do by the grace of God which was in me. In Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Galatians, yet it's not I, this new life that I live, it's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. Colossians, this we, this we do, laboring, striving, agonizing is the Greek word, according to his working which works in us powerfully. Corinthians, Paul says in chapter 15, by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace was not in vain, it wasn't for nothing. In fact, he says, I labored abundantly. But it was God's grace working in him. Ephesians, that we live according to his resurrection power that works in us. I could go on and on. This flows and overflows out of Paul's letters. But the point is this. You cannot make any difference in the life of another, but you are not on your own. You are strengthened by the grace of God, God's enabling grace in Christ as part of his body, risen in his resurrection, living God's life for and toward others. So let's then just aim that life of Christ in us in the direction that he says to go, and let's trust then the outcome to him. What God will do with it, we can trust him to do with it. We'll just, we'll just point, the, point the life in the direction that God says, do this. Okay, I'm going to do that. Let's take a next step. I don't know all that's going to involve, but I can take a next step. What does God say to do? In verse 2, he says, Take the biblical truth that you heard from me and trust it to others. Commit it to them. Deposit God's truth into the life of others and let it bear its fruit. Do you, do you remember Jesus' parable of the talents? Where he gave different talents, different gold coins to different persons. And the one guy, he took his gold coin, his talent, and he buried it. He didn't want to risk losing it and being accountable back to the master for what he had lost. And so he digs it back up. There was nothing risked and there was nothing gained. We don't want to take what God has given us and bury it away trying to keep it safe. We want to take that which God has given us and we want to invest it. It's been given to us to invest in the lives of others. Don't let your talent be wasted. Don't let, don't let, let what God has given you go to no use. Don't bury what God has given you but commit it into the life of another. Say, well, I don't know enough. You don't have to. How about that? Let me simplify this section. I'm not sure. Well, Paul says, this is what you do. The thing you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to others. You say, well, I'm not sure what it was that I heard from Paul. What was it? How could I know what Paul said and taught and considered the most valuable things to pass on? How could I know what was most valuable to Paul to pass on to others? That Timothy would have heard him say over and over and that Timothy would say, okay, that's the stuff. He said, I'm not sure if I know all that stuff. How can I give it to others? Where could you find it? Where could you find it? 
Paul wrote a lot of letters, didn't he? Paul wrote a lot of letters out in the open, heard by many. You can get real, 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 real close. You might be able to get at least as close, if not closer, than Timothy because God wrote it down for us. A great model here is with somebody else or with a handful of others, make a plan to go through God's word together. And we're going to sit down individually and we're going to grow in learning how to read God's word and observe and understand it and apply it with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to be accountable that I'm not just doing this all by myself, but I'm going to be accountable to others that are doing the same thing. We're going to be reading together. And maybe in the, in the, in the midst of that week, we're going to connect together with others. And we're going to be accountable for what it was that God showed me that I need to do. And we're going to share that with one another. And we're going to encourage one another. We're actually even going to poke and provoke and challenge one another a little bit in what we're reading. That this is the way God stretched me here. And maybe that also is going to stretch somebody else. Or, you know, I've known you a while. And this is the next step I actually think you need to take. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be in that kind of a trusting relationship where you could go there together in God's word? You'd be in God's word together and the somebody else whom you respect and has your best in mind would tell you, this is where I think God's word is telling you here. That maybe you yourself would resist, would run right by it. You ever do that? You run right by what God's word says because I really don't want to go there? And if somebody else helps you, no, 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 let's circle back. Let's take another look at that. And that's where change happens. That's where lives, lives are made different as a result. So start a Bible reading journey like that. But don't settle where you are. Get someone to help stretch you a little further. All of us are in that boat. All of us can be stretched a little bit. Right now, I'm being discipled in pastoring. I meet once a month with a, with a cohort of other pastors. It's led by the director of our church association, Church Venture Northwest, and he's doing this in a couple different places, one in, on the east side of Oregon, Washington, one up in the Puget Sound area, one down here in our area. And we meet once a month. He gives us some books to read, things that have been very helpful to him in the past, helped him understand some things, helped him serve as a pastor in his church better, and things he wants to pass on to us. And that we're going to wrestle with and challenge and push back and think about together and out of that we will have better insight into how to best serve God's church in this context today. None of us are finished. None of us are done. All of us can still be growing and thus benefiting from the input of others. Now ideally, I would want everyone to be in either a discipling someone relationship or a being discipled relationship, but I recognize that's not reality. It isn't going to happen. Some of you are going to leave this morning and say, huh, that was interesting. There's some folks that need to take advantage of that. And aren't the Seahawks on this afternoon? They're going to go on, right? But what Paul says here, he says to Timothy, what you heard from me, you entrust to faithful men. You entrust to those who are sticky, who are going to stick with it. Those who are going to keep at it. And who will then be able to, because they stuck with it, they will be able to reproduce. They will be able to pass them along to others as well. 
Invest in faithful ones, those who are, who are willing to pay a price, those who are willing to commit themselves to being challenged, who will take the risk of being open and vulnerable, who, who will yield themselves to God, God's word and also trust themselves to somebody who cares about their progress. In practice, I've learned to ask someone, what do you want from me? What do you hope this, our spending time together, our engaging together, what will be the outcome of that? What are you hoping that will lead to? What is their end game? What is their goal? Let's begin with an end in mind. What are we trying to do together? Now, sometimes you don't even know what that end is. You're going to grab somebody and take them. They don't know where. Timothy did not know he was leaving the continent when he signed up with Paul. I'm convinced of that. One of the reasons I think I know that is Paul didn't know he was leaving the con- continent when he signed up Timothy to go with him. They went through. They couldn't go this way. They couldn't go that way. They got to Troas, which was the end of the continent, and they didn't know where they were going. They said, Lord, what are we doing? They said, go that way. Cross that water over that other continent. All right. So you're going to start something with somebody. It's going to go farther than you or they may be realized. That's okay. But Paul tells Timothy, look for a level of faithfulness, a level of commitment to the task at hand. And then I try to hold myself and them to those goals and purposes that we've agreed on. Let's turn that characteristic of faithful men around. Do you want to grow? Do you want to be discipled? Count the cost up front. Be willing to commit to it. It's going to take some self-discipline. It's going to take some self-denial. You're going to have to give up something or some time, some convenience in order to stick faithful in this relationship. But those are all the things you're going to need. Those are the things you're going to need to grow. And if you're going to turn around and invest what you're given, what you receive, what you grow, and if you're going to invest that in the lives of somebody else. And if you don't, what are you? You're a stagnant pond that somebody else has poured into and yet it doesn't go anywhere from you. And so it's going to take that ongoing faithfulness, that commitment, that self-sacrifice, if you're going to give it to others. So don't be surprised that it takes that in being discipled by somebody. If you're going to ask for a piece of someone's life, and within the body of Christ, within God's family, we should be able to, we ought to ask for a piece of someone's life. If you're going to ask for a piece of someone's life, be willing to commit to it. Be willing to roll up your sleeves with them then and make it worthwhile. Show yourself faithful. So we've already swerved into into, um, some of those. Okay, we talked about those key elements. We talked about one one image already. Paul refers to Timothy as my child. There's There's a parenting image there. I want to jump now to the, the three images that he gives, starting with the soldier, the, what I call the single-minded soldier. Now, there's a lot in these analogies. I'm not going to try to exhaust them this morning. In fact, God's Word tells us, think on it, consider it, mull it over. But there's something for us to consider, first of all, in the single-minded soldier. The one who enlists in service is willingly going to give up civilian entanglements, the ESV says. Uh, Civilian pleasantries, things that they could rightfully enjoy. For instance, we just had an election season. The one who enlists as a soldier is not going to run for local office. The one who enlists himself as a soldier is not going to start a new consuming family business and enterprise. He hasn't got time to that. He's got to commit to what what is going to advance the purposes, the goals, the mission of the one who signed him up as a soldier. The one one who's who's going to sign up as a soldier, he's, he's not going to be able to also pursue fame and glory in an acting career. 
Or maybe try out for the Seattle Seahawks defense, though they urgently need the help. But rather than that, he's going to turn himself and focus and limit and tighten in on that which matters most. If we're going to be engaged then as soldiers in a spiritual warfare, if we want to make a difference in the spiritual battle and help train others for it, we're going to have to lay aside some distractions. Not necessarily because they're bad things. We're going to lay aside some distractions even if they're good things because this is something better. COVID has given us that opportunity in life. How many of you have left aside something that you regularly participated week by week? Oh, much more than that. Come on now. Everybody in the room. There's probably several things that you regularly did week by week that you had to stop doing along the way. And some way, sometimes we've been able to add some of those things back in. Some of those things we're wondering when we can add them back in again. Some of those things we ought to be wondering, should we add them back in again? It's a great time to clean out the closets. It's a great time to take inventory and see what should be brought back and what should be different so that I can focus more on what it is that God has set before us. The next image, after the single-minded soldier, is the authentic athlete. The authentic athlete, he's only crowned if he trains and competes according to the rules. If I could abbreviate this one, it would be no shortcuts. And it's common in athletics today. Shortcuts to success, shortcuts to strength, shortcuts to power. Steroids, performance-enhancing drugs. And when the test comes back, the medal is withdrawn. Or when the tests come back, if I go back to the NFL again, then the player is, is um, um, ineligible for the next eight games. And not only is he deprived, but his team is deprived from what he would have added into their shared mission together. There's an analogy there for the church. What's going on with steroids, performance-enhancing drugs? I'm taking a shortcut to what I want to be instead of the hard work of training and discipline that is required. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to put myself forward as stronger than I am, with less weaknesses than, than I actually have. And just as in athletics... So also in the church, nothing hinders the church more when somebody's pretending to be that which, which they're not. Nothing hinders growth together than pretending that I'm stronger than I am, that I have no doubts, that I have no struggles, I have no weaknesses, I have no temptations, I have no shameful failures at all, I'm fine. Can we just say, no, I'm not, and no, you're not? We are weak. When I say we are broken people in a broken world in desperate need of a Savior, I'm not talking about the people that don't know Jesus yet. I'm talking about the people that do. We are weak. We do have easily besetting sin. And if we pretend we're strong when we're not and we keep that facade up and, and we, we keep the pretense in place, we will never actually be truly strengthened in his grace as we need. Let's be okay with being a work in progress. 
Let's, be, let's get on with that work in progress by being authentic about doubts and struggles. The authentic athlete who is what he is and yet has continued to devote himself to the training for increasing strength. The single-minded soldier, focus. The authentic athlete, being real. No shortcuts. Finally, in verse 6, there's the faithful farmer. Now, this one is for those of you that live north of 119th Street, okay? Those of us that live in the suburbs south of 119th Street, which is the street right out here in front of the church, we, we think that, that uh, farming is a quarter-acre lot and that the hard work of it is mowing the lawn and weeding the strawberries, okay? That's life in the suburbs. But, but farming, true farming, is hard work. It's hard work through several seasons. It's hard work through planting when you don't know if it's, if it's uh, uh, too early or not. Is, is the seed going to make it? Is another frost going to come when the seedlings are small? It's, it's, it's weeding in the, in the early. It's thinning. It's watering through the summer, trying to keep these things alive. Not knowing if the harvest is actually going to be fruitful or not. It's only God that can give the increase. But the beauty of grace here is that when God invites us to work into his field, into his vineyard, God will bear fruit. Sometimes it's a while to see it. Sometimes the farming season is long, but God will bear fruit. The farmer, the example of the faithful farmer leads us back to Paul's initial call. I want to be one of those faithful men. I don't want to be successful. I want to be faithful and fruitful. I want to be, I want to, to know my Lord and I want to receive what he gives me and entrust it in fruitful ways into the lives of others. I want to know and follow Jesus by helping others to know and follow Jesus. There are, if I were to review, put it all back together, there are three strategic thrusts in which our church, any church, can grow one another in biblical truth, obedient living, and Christ-like serving. Those three thrusts are Sunday morning gathered together or the weekly gathering together in worship, the smaller group communities, and relational, reproducible discipleship. Sunday worship is the easiest to focus on. Church develops a program and does that well. We've got it on our schedule. We're used to that. This we can do. The COVID shutdowns actually helped us as a church take up some big steps forward in smaller group community. We were hungry for it. We longed for it. We felt the need of it, and we stepped into it. That's the kind of need we need to perceive and the intentionality we need to apply it also in terms of relational reproducible discipleship. As a church, we've started taking some next steps. We are seeing some initial organic growth. To go back to my farmer analogy, we have, we have shined light on this. And with the warmth of that light, some of the seeds that have been planted are starting to, to, to bring green shoots of new growth. And we need to care for that. We need to tend that. We need to multiply it. It needs to increase. This morning... I want to leave you with one next step that you can take. I would suggest that each one of us could take a step in one of two directions. You may need to take a next step in how you could be discipling somebody else. 
Even though you're not sure just exactly what that would look like, what kind of plan you would follow, are you really ready for that? But maybe that's what you're hearing this morning. I need to be doing that. Or maybe it's, I need somebody to do that with me. I need to be discipled by somebody. I'd like to take some next steps. I'd like to have somebody who's a little ahead of me on this trail of faith lead me along in knowing and following Christ more fully. How would I do that? I want to suggest one simple step that you can do this morning before you leave to start the conversation. And that is, I want you to take one of these offering envelopes when you have the chance, take one of these offering envelopes. You don't even have to put any money in, into it this morning. Well, now you can. That's okay. You can put money into it. That'd be all right, too. But what I want you to do is I want you to see this offering envelope as I am yielding, I am offering myself to the Lord. And I want you to write your name on it, if you're willing, and a phone number or an address that, that, that one of our pastors or elders could contact with you and say, Disciple. Put that word on there. We'll follow up with you and we'll find out what, what direction are you, are you thinking the Lord's leading you. I, wanna, I, I would like to know what next steps I could take to begin discipling someone. I'd like to know what next steps I could take to be discipled by somebody. We'll, we'll start that conversation. This morning it's easy. Your name, how to contact you, and disciple. And then just drop it in the offering boxes. There's one here and there's one by that back door. Now you're going to have to take some action to do that, though. You don't have one of these envelopes yet. You're going to have to go and get one. When the service is over and the song has been sung and we have said amen, before you go elsewhere or get back organized for the meeting, you're going to need to get to the table right up in the front corner here or the table right there by that back door where there are some of these offering envelopes and there are pens you can use. And write your name. Give us a phone number and email. Write that word disciple. And then we can follow up. If you're following along online, you say, well, I can't get into the church to get one of those envelopes. Send me an email. bcarlson, bpchurch.com. Again, one of our pastors or elders will follow up with you. But we need to take a next step together. We need to take a step or two out of our way this morning. Go to the table, send the email, do something next. Go a little out of your way this morning and see what God does to take you further, maybe out of your way, but into his way. Let's pray. Father, we do ask, Lord, for your leading. We ask for your strengthening. Lord, you've said that you would strengthen us for this by your grace that is in Christ Jesus. We, we rely on that this morning. Father, we also ask you for the courage to make us take a next step in following you. This is a step in trusting what you have said that we need and need to do. What others need from us. So Lord, would you then give us the courage to do that? Lord, give us the flexibility toward one another that we'll trust you for how you lead in next steps. And Lord, would you, would you bear your fruit then in your church for your glory because we are willing to give ourselves for one another and others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.